Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress as fashion till you spend a lot of money. Everybody's talking about the new sound. Funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z, where it's still rock and roll to me. The one we've been waiting for, the fourth track off Billy's seventh studio album, Glass Houses, released as a single on May 12th, 1980. And on July 19th of that year, took over the number one spot in America on the Billboard music charts. The song spent 11 weeks in the top 10 and was the seventh biggest hit of 1980, at least according to America's Top 40, actually the ninth uh, hit in the Billboard music charts. (laughs) What the hell is that about? Billy Joel's first number one hit, of which he would go on to have two more in that decade. This legendary song also appears on Greatest Hits Volume 2, A Matter of Trust, The Bridge to Russia, 2,000 Years, The Millennium Concert, 12 Gardens Live as, for some reason, a hidden track, whatever the (laughs) hell that is, and the My Lives compilation album. So, if we were to take a look at Crazy Christopher Bonanos and his 2015 New York Magazine article rankings of Billy Joel's songs, and it's, it's still rock and roll to me, is on the agenda, where do you think he places what normally one would think would be pretty high up <laughs> <laughs> out of 121 songs? Elon. Okay, well, that was a big hint, I guess. It's not going to be very high for Crazy Chris Bonanos. But I don't think it's going to be very low either. Um, I still, I think he's going to give it a good ranking. I'll say 36. No, it's an 18. Oh, you've screwed me up. I, I was going to say 16, but then you made oh. it sound like it could never be that high. Well, I thought it would be a little higher. I thought this might be a top 10 <laughs> for somebody. You know, uh, Glenn Gamboa puts it at 11. Yeah, I was thinking in my own rankings, I would put it somewhere between 10 and 15. So I think both of these guys are, are pretty on target with this. I'm really annoyed that you gave me that bad hint. Yeah, that was a bad hint. I apologize about that. But here's what he says. It's kind of this is the reason he only put it at 18. What he said was most fans would put this one much higher on the list. It does have about the purest, cleanest production he ever had. And that's that's true. That's interesting. But that whole, hey, what about me? Why are all these CBGB's acts getting all the love attitude is off putting. It's saved, of course, by the fact that it's funny. And here and there, pretty sly, dance craze anyways, is a rhyme most people would be afraid to write. Meanwhile, Glenn Gamboa says, Joel's take on New Wave is an interesting bit of call and response. I like that. Giving what would be called haters today their say and then shutting them down. Rock and roll defies trends, Joel argues, and then proves it musically that he wrote it on the Long Island Expressway on the way to the studio in Manhattan makes it even more impressive. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I heard a different story. Well, we'll get into that in a second. The fans uh, rank it at 25. That's surprising. What's wrong with these fans? With this whole fan list, I don't know who these people are, but they must be really into um, punk music. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, You know, I might place this song around in the 
25, I could see eh, maybe a little higher. You know, after all these years, I don't think I like it as much as I used to. It's still because you're rediscovering so many of these hidden type gems. And I think those are as a fan that because they're a little bit more new to you, you like them more than some songs that you've heard a thousand times like this one. Well, that's true. I mean, certainly when this came out in 1980, I thought it was the greatest song I ever heard. (laughs) And I used to, of course, sing the the responses, you know, and pretend I was singing the responses with Billy Joel. Yeah, I would pretend that I was at a party with him in Long Island and that he, you know, that I just got up and knew, of course, all the words and would be able to sing the responses. This is what yeah. I would pretend. He's like, does head. anyone else want to come up here and sing with me? Does anyone know the words to my hit? And yeah. you're like, I-, I do. That was my, that was my fantasy back in 1980 for sure that that would happen. So what this, this one guy, Tom Brienne of the stereo gum thing, he says in a, in a retrospective review, he was referring to it as a sharp, well-written song, but commenting that it never takes off. And we've been down this road before, but I think with I go to extremes possibly, and uh, there is something to this too. It, 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 it doesn't, it, I never noticed that before. There is something to the fact that it never takes off. I think there's portions, but it's not until it really gets to the sax solo that it kind of gets loose but then it's bought back again with, uh, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I don't agree with that review. I think it does take off. I think, I mean, it, it's so concise, you know, it's under three minutes. He just nails it. The sax solo is a big high in the song and it's just so succinct. It's not like a long solo that's meandering around. Like it just gets to the point and then it gets out of it and right back into the song. I think this is just so well-crafted and I, I don't agree at all that the song doesn't take off. It's, it goes to the right place for me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You're right. I think the rediscovering is uh, bothering me with this a lot. I've heard it so many times, but there is something very well produced about it. And I remember thinking about the drums and I had not heard drums like this before. They sound like electronic drums. And then I was reading that Liberty DeVito said the sound engineer for the song had him tune his snare drum extremely low so it would flop when he played it. So there is a difference to the drums, which I noticed, like I said, back in 1980, when there wasn't electronic drumming, that's what it sounded like. And that's what made it so interesting as well. Yeah, I guess since it's sort of a commentary on this new wave music, maybe they wanted to make his drum set sound like what the new wave guys were playing. And how cool is that? This is very Beatles-like in the sense that it's a commentary. He's fighting back to the critics. And he's just saying, you know, this is, you know, new wave is still rock and roll everything is still rock and roll but i like that he had critics and he said when he'd give them a hard time he'd give them right back and when you write a song that goes to number one that is a response to your critics man that is just manly musical genius yeah that must have felt so good to be like okay everyone likes all these new acts or whatever but like i'm gonna write a song about that and about how what they're doing is basically just still rock and roll and then I'm going to go to number one with that song. Yeah, it's like it reminds me of when John Lennon and Paul McCartney were doing were solo, you know, after the Beatles broke up and they would rib, rib each other with songs. And John Lennon would say, all he does is write silly love songs. And then Paul McCartney writes the song. What's wrong with silly love songs? I mean, that <laughs> is way cool. And Billy Joel didn't have an enemy 
which would be great. <laughs> you know, it's too bad he didn't have somebody that hated him so they could go back and forth like that. And that, of course, makes Paul McCartney and Lennon even better that they had this rivalry and just fought it out in song, you know, which is just not even fair that you can have that kind of talent. But that's why you got to love this song as well in many ways. Yeah, you're right. It would be kind of funny if Billy Joel and Elton John just had this longstanding feud. Right. Elton John. Perp. <laughs> oh, man, wouldn't that have been fun? Especially if Billy Joel didn't know Elton John was gay. He goes, you know, I think he just likes men. What's wrong with liking men? <laughs> <laughs> Billy Joel's the reason he comes out of the closet. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All right, Billy, I'll say it. Did you yeah. read the um, Root Beer Rag fan paper from 1981? No, what did it say? So is, this is a fan newspaper. I don't know how long it existed, but it was pretty new in 81 and it was pretty cool. It had like interviews with Billy Joel. He would answer fan questions in this fan newsletter. <laughs> but they had a three part series about the making of this particular song where they would talk to like the engineer and to record executives and all of these people who were parts of different part of it. So what they say about the composing of the song in this article is that Billy Joel just they had every song done for glass houses except for one they just needed one more song and then billy had this line it's still rock and roll to me and he and the band just figured it out in the studio like really fast they just all just kind of in a nice cohesive or collaborative way they composed the song in the studio recorded it and just knew that it was going to be something great they all just loved it well yeah i think it's one of those things even when you just get the the ball rolling on the song, you can just tell, you know, it already sounds like it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, you're right. It's got some kind of that beat, that rhythm. Well, you know what? My like something's favorite, happening. Right. You know, here's my favorite part. I can actually play it for you. This is so silly, but this is my favorite part of the song. That little, that little piece. That's my what? favorite part of the song. What about that piece? It's interesting. I just like the keyboards when they sound like that. It's cool. <laughs> that was always my favorite part of the song. I don't think I ever even noticed that. I never listened close enough to that one half a second that you're playing. I know. Isn't that funny? Well, that was cool. Yeah. That's I, I didn't think that's what you would say. I know. I just like, I like the, it's so those keyboards, the, the way they sound. Dun, dun, dun. I, I've always liked that one little portion of the song so much. And always, it's in my head all the time. And of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part's cool. My favorite part is hot funk, cool punk, even if it's all junk. Well, of course, and that's what he's saying. You know, it's funny. This song could totally belong on the Innocent Man album, right? Yeah, because he's doing Elvis, you know, when he's doing the doesn't matter what they say in the papers. That's clearly an Elvis section. It really is a terrific song. It's like, you know, I guess for me, it's like Piano Man, which if I had heard it for the first time, especially watching some of those reaction videos, I'd be like, this is the greatest song I ever heard in my life. And now because it's just been so overplayed in my head at every bar and every place you go that it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. It's like, uh, you know, how many, I mean, I love clueless, you know, the movie, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I can still sit through it, but it, you know, now I'm just like, well, I don't know if I can watch it today. Maybe I got to take a couple of years off. Yeah. But the difference with example. this song and, and Piano Man is that uh, this song is short and Piano Man is long. So you might think, well, this song's overplayed, but you've always got two and a half minutes to listen to it. Yes. I've seen some of the other vert, like I saw him in 2019. And it's so funny because he always gets up and sings this one. You know, he doesn't play it at the piano, obviously. And that's what it was made for. 
And it's just so funny in 2019, which is just two years ago, he just looks exhausted while he was singing. it. <laughs> was that the one where he was twirling the mic stand in his hands? Well, he always twirls the mic stand with this song. I mean, you can go back to when it started. You can go back to the video, the music, the horrible music video or the, the, the bridge to Russia one. He's, this is the one he twirls the microphone stand with. Well, he does a lot with it. But in this particular one I saw from 2019, which might have been a different one of the ones than you, you saw, he was doing like baton twirl kind of things. But he did look very lazy. And usually at the part where it goes, da 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 he'll like kind of run across stage. But in 2019, he didn't even move. No, no. And like I said, he's just doing the microphone thing because that's what he's chosen to do with this song. So he's just like, well, I guess I got to do this is where I do the baton microphone, the microphone stand thing. I mean, you've seen all those videos. He's, he's just working that stand in this particular song. He's still pulling like the Steven Tyler stuff. So maybe yeah. he invented it. I don't know. Normally, this is one of his most fun songs to watch live. Like the earlier live videos, he does, you know, he he hams it up. He does his Billy Joel frontman stuff and it's fun. You know, the band, they change the lyrics. You know, should I try to be a straight A student? If you are, then you drink too much. Oh, really? Yeah. That was back in the 80s. I don't know if they still do that uh, anymore. Oh, Maybe because of his drinking problems. <laughs> well, also the 80s were a lot of fun. Yeah. It's funny now that I see, can you believe this being 2021? 20, now that I see the lyrics, I, I didn't even know what they were. I had other ones in my head. Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? I always thought it was, can't you tell your tie's too white? Yeah, me too. I think he's wearing a white tie in the video. Very confusing. <laughs> yeah, so that threw me off. Apparently, it's aimed at your average team. I always thought, hey, I'm not your average team. I, I had Yeah, no or I thought it was ain't that your average team. No, it's aimed at your average team. He's like, but you can't get the sound from a story in a magazine, a magazine aimed at your average team. I had no idea that's what it said. Yeah, it makes sense, but it, it is uh, definitely right. confusing. And I had no idea that it was up until I'm talking about yesterday that it's, you could be a really be a Beau Brumel baby. Beau Brummel. Whatever. I always thought it was you could really be a cool drama baby. <laughs> I never knew until yesterday. And I still don't know what that is. Well, Beau Brummel was a, a like a menswear line back in the day that was like real, you know, so real proper. That's why when in the video, I think Billy like ties, he buttons his jacket when he says that line. But apparently Bo Brummel was the name of some dandy back in like the 18th century. Yeah, so who's going to know that? Who the hell are you writing this for? Well, all of the so he mentions all these different like fashiony kind of things, but they're all such obscure sounding things. I just assumed this was stuff people knew about. Right. Back in 1980. So there's, right. There's such a obscure things. How did this song go to number one? It's just on the rhythm alone. It's, you know, it's like that's because Bo, what did Bo Brummel Baby, that's going <laughs> to how is that in a number? He's got to be sitting there writing like, oh, this is totally going to go to number one when I put this dandy, this dandy man on the <laughs> like, <laughs> fancy pants guy. And it's funny because he wrote this. If they, if they wrote this in the studio, like literally in one night, that means he had all these references in his head. He didn't have to say like, what's that? Uh, what is that weird uh, pink sidewinder thing that I used to wear? Yeah, you're right. I just can't imagine him sitting there writing and be like, what if we put a you could really be a Bo Brumel baby. I, there's no way one of those. Other musicians didn't say, what is that? Oh, you know, it's uh, the guy from the 1800s who used to put in, uh, you know, there's, there's no way Liberty DeVito's going, oh, great idea. We all know what that is. But uh, you know what? This is, proves the fact that 
all people care about with a hit is what the song sounds like and what the chorus is. No one cares about the verses. Yep, you're absolutely right. It's like someone will say, oh, that rap song is like my favorite song, right? And then they put it on in karaoke and all they know is the chorus. They don't know how to rap any of the verses. Meanwhile, again, you know how angry I am that Gavin McGraw sang this song at that Gershwin concert in 2013, you know? I mean, it's just they. I, I, I don't understand the reasoning for that. It's awful. Like I mean, the choice of him doing it. Yeah. Why is why is he letting these country musicians sing his songs? I don't understand. Why, why isn't it? Why wasn't it, you know, Dave Grohl or somebody goddamn cool to sing? It's still rock and roll to me. It should be a rock star singing this song. Yes. Meanwhile, there have been bad covers of this song. Oh, really? Well, your your friend Drake Bell oh, from, from uh, Disney Channel or oh, Nickelodeon. Yeah. Oh, Nickelodeon, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently he did a cover of this on an album a few years ago. Ooh, what's the matter with the crowd I'm seeing? Don't you know that they're out of touch? And there's a video of the Disney show Kids Incorporated. Do you remember that show? It was on the 80s. I, early rem- 90s. I remember it. I, I was actually too old for that. But yes, of course, I know. Yeah, it. but it was like it was like a bunch of 13 year old kids and they would sing a lot of songs. Uh, it was kind of like what uh, kids bop is today, I guess. But like a video version of that. And so they did this song in 1986. They're all it's just a bunch of 13 year olds wearing red sequin sweaters. And then one kid who seems to be 35, but is trying to pass. <laughs> There's just one really tall girl. I'm like, she seems old. And they're all like pretending to play the sax and the keyboards. It's like the worst lip syncing, the worst playing. But uh, what's interesting is that in the cast of that show, uh, and I guess in this video, is Fergie from the Black really? Eyed Peas. Yeah, she was a cast member back then. Wow. And Mario cool. Lopez was also on the show, but I'm, I didn't see him in the video. check that but anyway it's a it is a terrible rendition of this song it'll definitely make you uh, knock it down the list a little bit more once you hear it. do you know he was thinking about in fact they recorded they were thinking about putting this song on uh toys in the attic i did it on purpose I know it's <laughs> songs in the attic this time did you know that they they recorded it for the album but they, they it would but it would be weird i don't think there's any songs from glass houses on songs in the attic no, that goes against the entire purpose of that. I think the whole thing exactly. with songs in the attic was it was going to be like turnstiles and earlier only. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, but they did record this song and it's a it's a really good version. The crowd's going crazy. But yeah, what would be the point of putting a hit on songs in the attic? It doesn't make any sense. I yeah, guess he was like, that's also why know. he didn't want to put Piano Man on that. He was like, that's something they've all heard so many times. Yeah, you know, that was an early hit. Right, right. But right. That was a hit. Right. He's putting on the stuff like maybe you missed these. Yeah, but I understand like when he was doing those concerts that he was recording for songs in the attic, like, of course, he was also going to be singing some of his current stuff because he needed to get the crowd happy. Like, hey, here are the big hits. And now here's some old stuff. Do You know, what's really weird is there's an interview with him saying, and it's so weird in 1980. Yeah. Where he's saying about new wave and they're asking him all these questions, obviously. And he's like, oh, it's a funny. And he goes, if if. And then he said something about if he ever got to meet Paul McCartney, he would faint. <laughs> it's just so weird because now I, you know, I'm pretty sure they've met multiple times and they're friendly and they hang out. And this is in 1980. He hadn't met him yet. Yeah, he was still a fanboy. Still a fanboy. 
So the music video for this song is pretty standard of Billy Joel at the time. It's him playing on a soundstage. What I like about it is that he's playing it live. They're not just like lip syncing to the studio version. You could tell it's different vocals and it looks like they're having fun. Yeah. So I guess he just I they probably taped again. This is 1980. So MTV wasn't around. And it seems like they just uh, very smartly recorded all the songs off Glass Houses in one day. <laughs> you know, it seems like you just changed jackets and they were it, it seems it's in the same studio, right? That that and all for Lena and uh, what a big shot. Aren't they all recorded in that same location? It appears to be they, maybe they changed a little bit of the background, but it's probably that same exact location. Yeah. And it was very smart. Again, I think taking a page from Paul McCartney and saying we should just let's shoot a couple of us songs playing the album. And, you know, it was very helpful later on when MTV did come out that they existed. But that's just forward thinking. Yeah. Back then, yeah. Back then for sure. It served him well, definitely. in his fame in the 80s that he had all these music videos. Yeah, remember, if this, if this video, if this album came out around May or so uh, in 1980, you know, he, he was probably filming this in very early 1980 and MTV didn't come out till August 1981. And it, and it wasn't even popular when it first came out. I mean, it was, but it wasn't, you know, nobody was rushing to do. They didn't know how important it was going to be. So this is uh, it, it's rare. It's amazing that these exist, but they are fun. Yeah. What I like about this video, um, and it's funny because you mentioned that maybe he recorded like all of the songs for Glass Houses in the same day, because there's one point in the 225 mark of the video, you could see a stagehand in the background looking at his watch. <laughs> I, I, no, I didn't notice. That's hilarious. No, I couldn't tell if that was like on purpose, like, hey, sit in the back and look bored. Or if the guy was really like, geez, it's like 12 hours already. Oh, if we do another watch party, we got to show that part. <laughs> I'll zoom in on them. You know, it's so great that this video as crude in a way, even though it looks very good and he looks you know, cool in it. It's so much better than the I go to extremes video, which is funny because that's a planned video and, you know, it probably cost a lot more, even though it's still in one room because of just all the editing and the pieces and the people. And, and here you have just one that's just does the job it probably cost nothing like i said they did them all in one day and it's better than the i go to extremes but i'm still angry about that obviously yeah this one seems much more authentic my my only problem with this video is when they show richie canada doing his sax solo they get like a close-up where you can only see the top half of the sax i'm sorry but when a guy's playing a sax solo you got to see that whole instrument you got to see the curvy part and the hole and that's okay that's my final question to you what does he say all right big guy What's he says, all right, Rico, which is, I guess, the nickname of Richie. Oh, uh, do you know anything about that? Why they kept that on? Why he did it? Was it part of the song? Do you know anything? I don't know. I think maybe it's like a throwback because there are other songs in the past where like before a guy does a solo, like they'll call out who's doing it. Like on uh, Roadhouse Blues. Roadhouse. By the doors. Jim Morrison goes, do it, Robbie, do it before Robbie Krieger does his solo. And actually, there's a live version from the 80s of this song where before it gets into It's Still Rock and Roll to Me, he plays a little bit of Roadhouse Blues. Roadhouse. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, yeah. well done, Alan. I don't think you you didn't you just came up with an excellent theory that makes a lot of sense. And in later live versions, when Richie Cannata left the band, I guess he's saying something to Mark Rivera instead. So he's probably saying like, all right, Marky, or I can't really tell what he's saying in those live versions. Oh, right, right. Interesting. So we've mentioned a few of the live versions of the song. Obviously, this is one of the most played songs, as you can imagine. This is actually the sixth most played Billy Joel Ooh. song. 
Six. He has played it 683 times. Wow. Here's an interesting thing. We've done one other song that's been played more, which is Allentown. And that was played 684 times. So one time more for Allentown. Okay, so then we're assuming that if we went to go see his concert in November or December, he's going to play these two songs, Allentown and It's Still Rock and Roll. It's a pretty good chance he knows he's got to play. These are the, the massive hits. Yeah, I don't think he's skipped a show with this song in the last 40 years. Meanwhile, I don't think he likes playing it anymore. He looks exhausted when he is singing it on stage. I think he well, prefers to just sit behind the piano at this point and play. He probably does. But the thing is, now in the last few years, this song is always part of the encore. So it's also really late. So he probably is just kind of tired. Oh, well, that makes sense, too. Well, you've done some good work today, Elon, like just making up the uh, theories. I like them. I like them a lot. They make oh, yeah. a lot of sense. I did my homework today. Yes. And if we go back, by the way, to the 80s, this song was always it was never the encore, but it was always like near the end of the set. It would either be like the last song or maybe the second or third to last. So he he always saved this towards the end because it's such a big crowd pleaser. It's not even the crowd pleaser. You save your number one hit. You save it. That's the way it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always you got to wait. You're like, you know, yeah, don't shoot your load. Can't wait. Right. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Uh, not for this one. No, I'm kidding. Wouldn't that be messed up if we, you know, I have a, a, a stumper, as you call it, for have a, what's the one we did last week? <laughs> Damn it. If I only words? had the words. Oh, my God. I keep. I don't know which one. I can't. They all blend together. Exactly. So uh, wouldn't it be funny? I have a trivia one for if I only had the words, but I don't have one for the hit. <laughs> I mean, that would be really messed up. All right. As you know. Unfortunately, to have his first number one, Billy had to knock off his number one hero in July of 1980. Who did he knock off? He knocked off Paul McCartney. That is correct. <laughs> you know the song? No. I can't was, think what it could be. It was one of my favorite songs. It's called Coming Up. I don't think I know that. Coming up like a flower. It's coming up. You and me, some of my, it's it was great. I I not only did I have it on the forty five, constantly played it all the time, but the video was groundbreaking because he did a video. I don't know where the hell they played it in nineteen eighty, but he this this is what Paul McCartney did. He kind of you know without inventing music video, he kind of invented music video, as uh, we'll be able to see with the Peter Jackson thing. You know, like he's like, no, let's film everything. It, it's him playing all the instruments. And he's playing different characters. I mean, now it doesn't hold up to today's standards, but, you know, he was doing it before anybody else was. And then they played it on MTV all the time because, you know, it, it existed. But, yeah, it was a big song for Paul McCartney solo. And I loved it. I used to sing it all the way on my bike going to summer school. <laughs> summer school. Nobody even does that anymore. That's so <laughs> all these idiot kids passing grades. Yeah. That's funny that that song was such a number one hit. And yet it's like not even... Like how certain songs can hit number one, even from a classic, iconic artist like Paul McCartney, but then someone well, like my age doesn't even has never heard of it. I know. And I used to worship it. And again, I had it on a 45 and I played it all the time. And he also uh, beat out Elton John to get to number one. So it's uh, just kind of funny. Those two guys who he worshipped and then would be who was uh, he was modeled after 
He had to beat both of them in the summer of 1980 to get to number one. Well, that must be very satisfying. Or like, sorry, oh, I didn't want to do that to my hero. (laughs) Probably (laughs) a little bit of both. So sorry, so sorry. So do you have one for me? I do. What Detroit rock star has another hit song with rock and roll in the title and even performed it live with Billy Joel once? Bob Seger? That's correct. Yes! I was going to go with Kiss first, but then it was just one person, so it couldn't be. And of course, I was just thinking of Kiss with Detroit Rock City. But then I was trying to think, and Detroit totally threw me off. I don't know how I came to uh, Bob Seger. I know it's Rock and Roll Never Forgives he has, but the... He, no, I was one? thinking of old-time rock and roll. That's oh funny. He does God. have another one also. Right. So that's so funny. We think of the same song, got the same love. I don't know what made me think of Bob Seger. I love it. Yeah, and apparently in 1990, he and Billy Joel sang this on stage somewhere. Well, we got to get footage of that. Yeah, I couldn't find it, but that sounds like a pretty cool thing. I always think when I was a kid, I used to always kind of mix up this song and old time rock and roll and the Rolling Stones one. It's only rock and roll, but I like it. Like Uh all these songs that have like rock and roll in the title. Like I always kind of they were blended together in my mind. Oh, not me. You know, none of them sound the same as each other. Exactly. And like I said, I was already in high school when these came out. So I did not. Yeah, you had an adult brain. I had a soft child's brain. It's kind of funny with that coming up. I just can't imagine that at the same time as this song. They seem like two different eras for me, but it must have been because I just didn't get into Billy Joel until college. And obviously everybody was into Paul McCartney at, uh, you know, since the, since I was born. So that must have made the difference where I think of coming up as a, a song that I was in high school, but with the still rock and roll, I, I feel I was in college, but I wasn't in college until a couple of years after. So I, it's weird how it, uh, I guess I just discovered it late, like everybody else. Yeah. And obviously it lasted longer for you because you've heard this song way more times over the years. Than Absolutely. Coming up. All right. So we got a parody time. You have a parody for this? Well, I thought it might be a different change of pace to write a parody for one of the songs. Well, it's uh, it's again, like not having a trivia question for this song, but we have it for if I only had the words. <laughs> like some, yeah, if we were like, this song parody? isn't really worth a parody. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like this is Cross to Bear <laughs> or December song. <laughs> What's interesting about this song is that this is a song that Weird Al himself has done a parody of. Really? Yes. In 1980, he made a demo called It's Still Billy Joel to Me. And he never officially released the song, but he did play it live a lot. He played it 104 times through 1984, never again after that. And, uh, you know, it's mostly just him on accordion singing to the song. The purpose of his song is to say that Billy Joel just changes his style to fit whatever is cool. And it doesn't matter what he puts out. It's always going to just become a big hit. He's going to make a lot of money. So he doesn't have artistic integrity. It was like kind of ripping on Billy Joel, but kind of in a fun way. I don't hold any ill will for this song. What's the matter with the songs he's singing? Can't you tell that they're pretty lame? After listening to a couple albums, well, they all start to sound the same. So we tried to change his music style. He passed all his ballads in the third year of life. But then it found the pump sound breaking ground all around his little Billy Joel. So my parody is, it's still sushi rolls to me. Oh boy, another food item, see? 
What's the matter with the rolls I'm eating? Can't you tell that the fish is cooked? Maybe next I'll order shrimp tempura. It should be fresh right off the hook. Everybody knows it needs to be raw or I won't take you to sushi no more. Cold, sake, hot, maki, I don't really give a fuck. It's still sushi rolls to me. Hey now. I'm, I'm a little upset that you had to uh, use profanity at the end, but um, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed the hot sake maki part, and then I, I feel it was uh, ruined with by working blue. <laughs> I wanted to say I don't really give a fucky. Oh, see that would have that would have worked. No, it wouldn't have because it, it it messes up the uh, the final line. That it's still sushi rolls to me. Syllable wise, well, could not work. I'm not going to make fun. I was really, really abusive to you on the last one. So I'll just say uh, good work and we will move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The listeners don't like your your uh, your commentary on the parody. No, they love you and they hate when I pick on you. So <laughs> keep my mouth shut today. And I don't mind judge for yourself. It just makes me work harder. I mean, I don't know what the hell is the matter with you people. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you got to call the kid out. I'm looking into the camera when I say like, (laughs) and I'm talking to you, Mr. and Mrs. Front Porch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, that was it's still rock and roll to me. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Did you also mishear lyrics in this song? Did you know what Bo Brummel was? Do you think Billy was happy or sad to overtake his hero and hit number one? And can you sit through the entire Kids Incorporated version without vomiting? <laughs> Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. About the new fashion, honey. All you need are looks and a whole lot of money. It's the next phase, new wave, dance craze. Anyways, it's still rock and roll to me. Everybody's talking about the new sound, funny, but it's still rock and roll to me.